0: Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Are you ready for what God has for you today? Whether you are in the room live, watching online, or later on demand, I know one thing for sure. God wants to do something new in you. There is nothing more exciting than knowing that God is at work, even if we can't see what he's doing and have to wait a while to find out. He is always good so our lives are safe and secure in his hands, no matter what that new thing is. I'm Chris Voigt, and I have the immense privilege of leading the team here at Dayspring. It certainly keeps me on my toes because that team expends endless energy helping people grow. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that you can come as you. We're just like you, regular people on a journey discovering what God has for us each day, and each day saying yes to becoming like Jesus, one step at a time. Which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to figure out what your yes is today and tomorrow and the next day. Slowly becoming like Jesus. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey, even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on. This is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers, so welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service.
1: To be transparent here, has anyone Been annoyed with the delaying of fall weather this season. Anyone? Okay, glad I'm not alone, right? Oregon, right, has this reputation of being really wet during this season, but we have been bone dry for far too long with temperatures in the 70s and 80s range. It's too much. Now, I know just a few days ago we got our taste of rain. But it still took way too long for that rain to even get here. And this means, at least for me, that the feeling of fall has been missing. And I know that some of you like love the very warm, sunny autumn days. But all I have to say to you is that you live in the wrong state. You see, I, I love fall. I just, it's my favorite season. I just wanted it to, to come sooner than it has. I enjoy the changing colors of the leaves, the, the cooler weather, wearing flannel, and, of course, Halloween. Now, with, with Halloween comes many different traditions. Trick-or-treating, eating way too much candy, and horror movies are all staples of this fall holiday. And the latter is something that I personally despise. I've seen way too many horror flicks that I care to even remember. They are usually forced on me in some awkward social situation where someone has convinced me that I'm going to enjoy their favorite scary movie. John, this time it's not it's going to be different. It's not going to be all that bad. False. Every time. They are all scary for me. No matter the genre. Watching psychological thrillers or gory slasher movies or monster movies, I'm not having a good time. I end up having like nightmares for weeks and I'm like on edge even longer, keeping all the lights on in the house and like peeking around corners to make something to make sure something's not gonna jump out at me or try and kill me, right? <laughs> While I dislike them. I have to admit that there's one type of scary movie that isn't all that bad from my personal perspective. Have any of you seen a zombie movie, or at least know what a zombie is this morning, be honest, okay? I've seen a few. There's The Walking Dead and Night of the Living Dead are like just two current examples. I can tolerate zombie movies. Now if you don't know what a zombie is, zombies are disgusting and fearful creatures that cause all kinds of trouble for the living. They are these dead corpses that walk around and they want to eat your brains and infect you so that you also become a zombie. Wonderful picture, I know. Now at this point, you may be wondering why I'm talking about zombies in church this morning. Well, the truth is that zombies aren't just a work of fiction that emerged during the Halloween season in horror movies. They are 100% real. Not only that, but we all once were zombies. This morning, I'm going to teach you how to survive the current zombie apocalypse. Welcome, everyone. This is Zombie Survival 101 this morning. Now, if you're curious, curious, how is the youth pastor going to pull this one off? I want you to keep listening, and we'll get into the scriptures to connect the dots. But before I do, I just want to welcome everyone back to our new series in the book of Ephesians called Becoming Who You Are. We're walking through this letter chapter by chapter chapter and verse by verse to understand the truth that God has for us through his word. Um... Pastor Michelle kicked us off with an introduction to the content of, the past, of Apostle Paul's letter last week and walked us all the way through chapter one. Today, we are going to look at just ten verses. These ten verses are actually only two sentences in the original Greek. Talk to Dr. Tony Merida, who is a pastor, professor, and author, calls Ephesians a, a mini-theology theolo- the- book, sorry, mini-theology book. These verses are just jam-packed with truths for us to understand, and even if you're not a Christ follower, you would benefit from reading this letter to understand the central tenets of the Christian faith. And if that's you, I hope that you stick with me today as we unpack this passage together. Now, the Apostle Paul at the time of this letter being written, is in prison because of his message about Jesus to the Ephesians. So he decided to write a letter to the many house churches in the greater Ephesus region in Asia. You see, Paul had been a zealous persecutor of those who believed in Jesus' message, but had this life-changing encounter with Jesus that transformed him into a dedicated advocate for the gospel. His message in Ephesus focused on the truth that Jesus had torn down the traditional walls between Greeks and Jews. Has any, have anyone here this morning? Have you ever heard the use of this new, fairly new phrase called "my people"? Okay, if you haven't, we all have our type of people. People who we get along with or people who share your interests. You don't even have to know people personally to know that they probably would be your people. She's a die-hard Mar- Mariners fan, oh yeah, she's my kind of people. But if they're an Astros fan, nah, they wouldn't, we wouldn't get along, they're not my people. They aren't my people. You see, Paul was a casualty of this kind of thinking. When Paul started sharing the good news of Jesus, the Jewish leaders knew he wasn't part of their people anymore and attempted to have him executed. Luckily for him, he was a Roman citizen and ended up being under house arrest instead. So he's well acquainted with the effects of division between people groups when writing this letter. Now, the division that Paul wrote about in this letter to the Ephesians that is being destroyed, it's a wall that has nothing to do with how I act or how you act. It has nothing to do with the teams I cheer for or even the fandoms I follow. It's something we inherit when we are born. It's a wall that's dividing us from God, it's sin. Because of sin, we are separated from God and we aren't his people. But because of Jesus, we are no longer separated from God and we are welcomed in and we are received. And we've received forgiveness. That was chapter 1. Now. Welcome to Chapter Two, verses one through ten specifically. So, if, you're, if you've got your Bible this morning, whether in print or digital, uh, would you please turn to Ephesians two, one through ten? This right here begins our class for zombie preparedness. So, Paul continues his letter here in Chapter Two by using this by using comparison. Paul begins by highlighting what what. Uh, this sin division used to be like in the Ephesian believers' lives. So we start with Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. And Paul writes, he says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Once, you were dead, Paul writes. Not just declining, not just kind of dying, or mostly dead. This state of being is just not a a sickness that needs healing. Paul writes that you were totally, they were totally, completely dead. They were once people who had rejected God and his ways and lived according to the rules of Satan in complete disobedience to God. But they weren't Physically dead, right? They, they still existed. They still had culture. They still had families. They breathed. They ate. They worked. They laughed. See, it wasn't their bodies that were dead, but rather their spirits. It's true. They were zombies. They were alive, but lifeless. You see, when, I, when it comes to the movies, the few that I've seen, I actually think they get it backwards, at least when it comes to spiritual zombies. Usually in these movies, you are alive first, and then you become a zombie. As Paul writes here, we enter this world spiritually dead, infected by sin. And as scary as horror movies are truly for me, this type of zombie that Paul writes about is far scarier and far more serious to me. They are dead even though they walk and talk and look alive. There might be even people who claim today that they are Christians. But rather than following Jesus, they create division and cause destruction in his name. Perhaps they might even believe that they are Christians because they claim to speak for him, but if they don't love like he does, they dishonor him. They're cursed to be the walking dead because they give in to their own fleshly desires that keep them in bondage. Picture an unsaved family member, a coworker, classmate, or neighbor. Even though they are alive physically, they are dead spiritually. They are not separated from their body, but they are separated from God. And what is really scary is not their zombie status. It's scary if they die. Then it means that they will be separated from God forever in hell with the ruler of darkness, and all because of one thing present in all of our lives, sin. And then there are those who don't know that they are sinners. They, they live according to the world and think they are doing just fine. They are fully okay with being a zombie at this point. They follow their fleshly desires to a lie that their life will, will eventually be fulfilling. They're chasing after the wrong things. They, they might think, if man, if I just make $80,000 a year, then I'll have it made. If I can just get that next hit, then I'll be numb to it all. This path leads to an easy life of zombie walking, but it's no life at all. The tragedy is that they're headed towards destruction willingly. In fact, there are some that might want to make you a zombie too. (laughs) You believe in a magical fairy in the sky? Man, that's ridiculous. There's no God. How could you ever believe that? You're so silly. I know all the answers to life if you actually listen to me. They're spiritually dead. And while this spiritual deadness doesn't outright mean that they intend to spread evil in this world, there are still plenty that do. And there are many other ways the world is spreading the contagion. In fact, its worldly ways are constantly changing, meaning its ways cannot be truth. Truth is objective. But the world today wants to teach you to believe that truth is instead subjective that you get to create your own reality, your own world and make your own morality. That if you simply live a version of life that satisfies you, then you lived a good life and you are worthy of your own sort of heaven. That if you can figure out your own identity, then you have succeeded in life. Brothers and sisters, this is a lie. And this is a lie that the Ephesians used to believe. You see, Paul mentioned that because they fell for this lie, they are under command of the enemy, and Satan is hell-bent on destroying humanity through all of these lies. He is the author of lies, after all, as scripture says. Those who are dead under his influence because they obey the laws of this world, and this is his world. They play by his rules as they line up to the entrance of hell, without even realizing it. They've been brainwashed into believing that their way of life is right and they are spiritually dead. The Jewish philosopher Hannah Arndt observed this spiritual deadness in Adolf Eichermann, the the Nazi architect of Hitler's Jewish extermination program. When she went to Eichermann's trial in Jerusalem, she had expected to encounter a wild-eyed monster But to her surprise, he was just a boring, polite man who was comfortable with the horrendous crimes he had manufactured. He was spiritually dead and under the influence of someone keen on making this very world hell. Now, you might look at me and this example that I just brought up and think, John, I'm nowhere close to being a Nazi. I read books, I volunteer at a soup kitchen, I'm a good person, I'm not part of some demonic cult that worships Satan, it can't be that bad. And while that may be true for your works, that they do good for humanity, apart from Jesus, we are still spiritual corpses, we're dead in transgressions and sins, walking about in disobedience to God, which makes us his enemy. Let me assure you this morning, it is that bad. But Paul goes on to broaden how, this infection, how far this infection has spread. In verse 3, he writes, All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. See, Paul is now, is being very inclusive with his language. Not only were the Gentiles in Ephesus this way, but everyone was. Even God's chosen people, the Jews. And this would have been highly offensive language to any Jew during the time. Those who were Jewish followed God's law. And when they inevitably sinned, they performed sacrifices to pay for their sin. They worked for their salvation. They thought they were covered. After all, they were God's kind of people. But no one could, inspe- could escape this infection. Every single person, Jew or Gentile, sports fan or philanthropist, has been cursed with sin and is subject to God's justified wrath. No, one, no, wor- no one's works can save them from this infection. There is no good in a zombie. And you see, the virus of sin is an abomination before God. He doesn't want his wonderful creation to be corrupted by sin. He wants sin to end and to put a permanent stop to evil. You see, God's character is unchanging. And he is a God who demolishes sin and has done so from the beginning. You see, if we're cursed with this wretched disease, then there is truly only one option for us. You see, zombie movies over time have established a few key ideas for survival from zombies. The most important one is that you can either, you can run from a zombie or you can kill it with two shotgun blasts called a double tap, otherwise one of the walking dead will overtake you. You see, now God, he's in no trouble from us overtaking him, but we actually deserve the double tap of death to our zombified souls. We are in dire need if we are to escape God's holiness with obliterate sin in righteous action. So this right here is the state of what the Ephesians and all us Christ followers used to be like. You see, if you thought uh, that this example of comparing peoples to zombies was a little dramatic, then I hope you do notice how harshly Paul talks about the human condition here in just three verses. It's, it's real, and it is serious. See, when people walk according to the ways of Satan, before long you have a zombie apocalypse on your hands. But there's a cure. Paul has been talking in the past tense throughout this whole section. We were zombies. Everyone was a zombie. So what are we now if we're in Jesus? What happened? What is the antidote that turns those who were dead to alive? Well, it's it's in this next section that Paul writes, and in verse 4, he says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead, along with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. And see the cure for being a walking spiritually dead person is not found in concocting the right uh, concoction of chemicals or any elements. It's not a pill you take. It's not a shot you get in your arm. The cure is found in a person, in a person named Jesus. You see, as a youth pastor, I get asked all sorts of funny questions about God, Jesus, and Christianity, as our students are growing in their relationship with Jesus. One of the most favorites I get asked all the time is, was Jesus a zombie? You see, I notice, yeah, they notice that he died and then he rose from a grave. John, that really sounds like a zombie. Now, I love, I love the curiosity, truly, in this question. The answer I give is Jesus was not a zombie. He was fully God and fully man, even after his resurrection. And this is incredible, right? Jesus rose from the grave, fully alive, physically and spiritually. He had overcome death for a reason, and that reason is love. See, according to God's rich mercy, love, and grace, He made us alive in Jesus. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did it all. We are the we are the zombies, so we can do nothing to save ourselves. Right? We sinned. There is no coming back from that infection that we could, that we could ever manufacture for ourselves. So Paul, in the same sentence, affirms the wrath of God and the love of God and this is a weighty comparison, but there's a reason for that. It's because you cannot understand his love without an understanding of his holiness. And here in these next few verses, I pray that we get an overpowering sense of God's love as we see how lost we truly are without him. You see, our students today, they're burnt out on hearing talks in school about mental health and how each one of them are special. Right? They're not buying it, at least from a, a secular perspective. They've heard all the talking points over and over again. See, they desperately need a new form of love. And while the world screams at us that if we just love ourselves, if we find our identity, then we'll be happy or we'll feel loved. But God, God's love outshines that kind of love by a mile. See, this is the kind of love that they and we all need. His love is a defining part of new life. And because of that love, he showed us immeasurable, scandalous grace. See, it doesn't make sense that God would send his one and only son to die a horrific death for those who were dead and disobedient to his ways. But it's because of love that it is, it's just one of God's defining attributes. Paul even goes as far to point us to our ultimate destination in the heavenly realms. where are from zombies the heavenly residence. We are going to spend eternal life with a loving father. And that doesn't make sense without love. But this love is translated to mercy and grace when it's applied to sinners. He's so rich in mercy that he does not give us what we deserve. And in this grace, he gives us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness. It was on full display in the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus took our place as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. You see, salvation is completely God's doing and work from beginning to end. The Father sent his son Jesus out of his rich mercy and love to die for zombies, corpses who are spiritually dead in transgressions and sins, to purchase us from the power of death, from the power of sin and the enemy. See, Jesus accomplished all the Father sent him to do. Jesus died and rose on the third day. Jesus accomplished redemption, and he lives and he reigns today. Amen? You see, most scholars have connected Paul's comparison of death to life to the incredibly vivid imagery of one of God's prophets that he received in a vision. This vision was of new life that was at the time yet to come, but now has come through Jesus. So if you'll read with me in this text, this is Ephesians 37, 1 through 6, and it's on the screens. It says, The Lord took hold of me, thus being Ezekiel, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around amongst the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? "O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the work of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you alive again. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. See here, Ezekiel got the, to witness firsthand in his vision the state of humanity. We were a pile, pile of useless bones But God had a plan from the beginning to bring the dead to life. He said, you will come to life. See, God sent his son on purpose. He had a plan to make us alive again. Out of grace, out of love, Jesus came to die. To die on a cross to take the wrath of God upon himself so that we didn't have to stay as dead as a pile of bones. He also died so that death would be defeated because he would be raised to new life three days later. He gained resurrection power to resurrect our spiritual selves. We are zombies no longer. And we need to listen to the word of the Lord that tells us to breathe and come alive. You see, it's present through God's word that we are even reading this morning. It's like a sword cutting through the lies of this world that they want to subject on us, to, that were given by the enemy to corrupt us to death. It's present in the Holy Spirit, which marks us as believers, as Paul stated back in chapter one, wake up dead bones and come alive. So what's the purpose of this new life, though? Is it so we become more tolerable people without the hopeless sense of death carried around us? Is it to establish more rigorous routines to please God for all he's done? Well, it's all that and more. You see, we become new people entirely. To escape our zombified selves, we first must die to our old flesh that was dead and we become new. You see, when we celebrate baptism here at Spring, we see this idea played out before us. We enter the water which represents the grave and come up raised in Jesus as new creations, as humans cured by this blood of Jesus and his payment for our sins. We are no longer spiritually dead, but we are fully alive physically and spiritually as God intended. God does this out of his rich mercy and love in Jesus for you. See, God does not anyone, want anyone to remain zombies. So he acted through Jesus, his son, to save us. So what does this new life look for us? And we can find it in these last few verses in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. As God's masterpieces, we are recipients of God's grace. We are corrupted no longer by sin through the enemy, but by grace through God, We go from dead in our sin to alive with Christ. From sons of disobedience to those raised up with Christ. From children of wrath to recipients of mercy, love, grace, and kindness. And it's a gift. It's a gift through belief. Other translations offer the clarity in this verse of faith instead of belief. You see, we are saved when we believe, when we put faith into the equation, but it's still a gift. It's not, it's not a transaction. And all of salvation is a gift. We don't exchange faith for saving grace. That's not how it works. We, some, we simply come to this gift through our trust in Jesus. We don't earn faith because of a whim that we suddenly became more clever or any other attribute. Which means that we had have, we have nothing to do with this process. In verse 9, Paul aptly points out that we have no right to brag. Hey, I'm one of God's chosen people. I'm one of God's people because we're tight, right? I spend so much time with God, so he loves me more. No, not how it works. You and I were sinners in the face of a God who had every right to wipe us out. But he didn't. And instead, provided a solution. So we can't brag. Even when we go back and look at the Ezekiel vision, this picture of resurrection was given because then you will know that I am the Lord. You see, dead corpses do not make themselves alive. Dead corpses are dead. They do what dead corpses do. They carry the smell of death, slowly decaying. Zombies cannot make themselves into living people. It just doesn't happen. So anyone that thinks that they can make themselves alive through our own actions or morality are just plain wrong. Will doing good works without Jesus saving grace in our lives save us? No. Will attending a church service without developing a saving relationship with Jesus transform you into this new creation? No. And then there are others who will try and teach that kind of gospel, but they obviously haven't read these last few verses then there are people that will try and say to you Jesus died and rose for you to win forgiveness of your sins and save you save you now all you have to do is and they think that they are proclaiming the gospel yet they're simply misleading in error and lies because there's nothing you and I could do not even a little Not even to believe and trust. You see, God God crossed the division between humanity and death and has entered into the world to save you. And we stay humble in this way, not because God needs some sort of power trip, but because we were so powerless uh, in the face of sin that God needed to step in because, well, he's God. We aren't. We have faith that his ways are higher than ours because he is God He's got the best life set out before you already. He calls us a masterpiece. Why? Because he made you. If it was up to you, you'd be a mess. Okay, you'd be, and no offense to any art nerds, right? You'd be a modern art piece with just one smear on a boring canvas. But instead, you are the finest art in existence. You're the strongest piece of architecture on the big city skyline. Now, why did he make us this way? Because he loves us. So we need to live a life that shows off that art, the art that God accomplishes through us and accomplishes this masterpiece of a life he has already set out before us. Right? That's right. Just because we have God's grace doesn't mean he doesn't, want us, doesn't have work for us to do. And in verse 10, Paul points out that we in new life can accomplish good works that he planned for us long ago. This is so important to understand. Good works are not the root to our salvation. We could, we could not do these works in our death state. It takes union with Jesus to accomplish. They are the fruit, the proof of our new way of living. This is the fun part of living, in fact. It's a rewar- reward for becoming alive and being cured. It's far more rewarding than any life before Jesus. Now, it may be more difficult but it is so, so good. Now the famous reformer who started the revolution of Protestantism, uh, Martin Luther, he said this. He said, faith, however, is a sincere work in us. It changes us and makes us to be born anew of God. It kills the old Adam or old self and makes altogether, altogether different men in heart and spirit and mind and powers. And it brings with it the Holy Ghost. Oh, it is a living, busy, and active, mighty thing, this faith. And it is impossible for it to not do good works incessantly. It does not ask whether there are good works to do. But before that question even arises, it has already done them and is always doing them. You and I were dead corpses before God. All we did was evil in his sight. We walked in the delusion and darkness of the devil. We were spiritual zombies. And Jesus took our punishment and death so that we might be alive in Jesus, free to do the good works that God has created us to do, free to live and walk in Christ as new creations and not dead corpses, to be alive in Christ, not to be a zombie, but to be a beautiful masterpiece. And that's a miracle. God took something broken and made it a work of art. And this process started with the resurrection from spiritual death and will all end with a glorious display of the grace in the coming ages. You see, Paul speaks this truth of in this comparison so, not, so we wouldn't be you know, depressed or scared, but because it is the truth, because this truth then highlights and magnifies another truth, the rich mercy and grace and power of God in Christ Jesus to save. So resist the temptation this morning and in your life to work towards becoming a good work. You already are. So become a masterpiece and work because you are restored. So from this message, I believe everyone can take away something. I told you I was going to share how to end a zombie apocalypse, didn't I, right? I intend to make good on that promise. So from just 10 short verses, we can glean so much. So first off, get in the word. Like I mentioned already before, the word of God is active and it's powerful. It never returns void, meaning you will always find something new in it if you put in the effort. The lies of the world will have become so apparent that you'll hardly be able to even stand it. And that's one way to stave off a zombie apocalypse. Don't let your mind be zombified to the powers of the enemy and the world he presides over. In our discipleship process, being in the word is the number one catalyst that sets you on the path to become more like Jesus. You will discover what is true in the modern revolution and then what is a lie. Next, give up the zombie walk, right? There are ways of living sinful ways that are bad for your spirit and bad for your life and bad for other people as well. It's time to die to those fleshly desires and rise to the way of Jesus. There's a plan for our lives that is just waiting for you that is full of purpose. For those who are believers, I think it's so easy to fall into the temptation of either earning our salvation or walking on our own with kind of alongside with Jesus. Yeah, I know Jesus is with me. He's just over there and I'm just kind of doing my own thing over here, right? It must be close to his desire for life if I know he's over there, right? I just want to do these first few things first. So stop trying to be a child's painting, as beautiful as a child's painting is. It's not a masterpiece, See, I'm preaching to myself here too on that fact. It's easy to get off track from God, but we have to live in the memory of our baptism every day. It's a daily choice to die to ourselves and live the walk of Jesus. Don't be a zombie, be a new creation. And then take a break. Just understand who you are. Are you part of God's chosen? Are you in his people? Maybe you might be a part of the walking dead this morning. You might think that you have been redeemed by God's grace. You have all the knowledge, but you haven't put your faith in him yet. Maybe this is the first time you've heard these verses and this message of Jesus. Friend, there is hope. There's something better. I also know that there are plenty of Christians who make this faith seem dirty. But that's why we don't follow other Christians. We follow Jesus. Jesus never sinned, yet he died for you. Lastly, if you are spiritually alive, then you have the cure. You have the gospel, and you are tasked with helping spread it to those who are spiritually dead and perhaps don't even know it. Help to end this disease by telling everyone you know so that they can become alive as well. This would be a truly good work. God saves sinners. God saves sinners by grace through Christ Jesus' sake, through faith in Christ. Jesus, and all of this is done and accomplished by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All this God has done for you out of his rich mercy and grace in Jesus. Once we were dead corpses. Once we were all zombies. But that zombified corpse is, the corpse is now dead. We can look down on that headstone that marks the grave of our old flesh every day that reads, here lies John of the flesh, dead to sin. But the grave is empty because God has raised, raised us up in Christ Jesus, and we are made alive in Christ. We are now God's kind of people. Go and embrace the newness of life in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we were hopeless. God, we, as vivid as a word picture of using zombies can be, God, it is the truth that it is that bad. That the, the world's condition is hopeless without you. But God, like, like you show us so clearly that you brought Jesus into the world to be this salvation, this newness of life, that we can be raised to new life. So God, let us not only walk in the promise of being masterpieces, but God, let us help spread your word to those who don't know that they are walking in spiritual darkness, that they are dead in their sins. God, place unto our hearts the weightiness of the situation of the world. And that, let us not be crippled by fear. Let us not be crippled by anxiety about what the world looks like, but instead see it as an opportunity to go and spread the good news that the world is desperate for. Let us reach our neighbors, our parents, our grandparents, our brothers and sisters, our sons and daughters, our neighbors. Lord, with this powerful truth, let us reveal to the world the light of the world as Jesus. It is in your heavenly name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions alone or with others will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring, who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. We are simply excited to play a small part as God does his perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, may you experience great joy in the presence of Jesus.